You've tuned into The Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to The Dr. Lowe Show. Hey guys, welcome to the show. You're listening to Dr. Lowe's show. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. It is so great to have you and welcome back. I wanted to just give you guys some encouragement. I know the world's a little crazy right now. I'm hoping that you are staying positive, that you are in good spirits, spending time with your family and friends and taking really good care of yourself. That's what this show is all about taking care of yourself, taking care of your family. And I know that this episode especially will really help you to do that. Before we jump into the show, I want to just say a couple of things. One is if you've been listening to the show and you are wanting to look into things a little further for yourself, as you guys know, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I've been practicing for over 10 years. I have a specialty in hormones, autoimmune conditions, and I also do a lot with fertility. So if you want to get some testing done, want to look into some things for your health, I would be happy to help you. I work with patients locally in San Diego and actually all over the country because of this podcast, people hear me from all over the place. So it's so much fun being able to help patients who may not have someone in their area who can support them in the way that they they need it. So if you want to look into that, basically the way that it works is the first appointment is about an hour. That's where I take a thorough health history. I ask you lots of questions. Most patients say that it's way more thorough than they've ever experienced with other doctors. And from that appointment, I'll determine which labs I want to run for you, which includes full blood work. This looks at your blood sugar, liver, kidneys, or thyroid, cholesterol, immune system. I check out things like your iron levels, your vitamin D levels. I also do a panel to look at deficiencies. So this looks at all your vitamins, all your minerals. It checks your omega-3, your omega-6 levels, and it looks at antioxidants. Like one in particular is glutathione, which I have a love affair with. I love glutathione and really important for these nutrients to be optimal for all of us. And that's when our body works optimally when it has the different tools that it needs to do. So I also will check hormones, um, depending on the patient, I'll check leaky gut. I may do a stool test to see what's going on with their digestive tract. And there's also other kind of specialty tests, depending on the person. It's a lot more thorough. I became a doctor because I saw bad doctors growing up and went down this whole rabbit hole of wanting to learn as much as I possibly can. And I'm very passionate about empowering you to understand your health and not feel like a victim to medicine. So I'd love to support you with that. If you want more information, want to look into my practice, it's shinenaturalmedicine.com. So it's just S-H-I-N-E, like the sunshine, shinenaturalmedicine.com. You can give us a call, shoot us a message if you have any questions. And I would be happy to help you. The other thing is I want to give some love to our show sponsor, Paleo Valley. I've been supporting them for a while. I carry their products in my office and I wanted it to be relevant to the topic for this particular show, because we're going to be talking all about having a healthy home environment, ways to feed our kids healthy food, and just ways to make it easier. Cause a lot of us are really busy and sometimes it can be challenging to get nutritious foods into our kids that they actually want to eat. So Paleo Valley has some great snacks that I use all the time. I recommend them to patients. I feed them to my son Zion and he loves them. So a couple of things in particular, they have some superfood bars and there's three different flavors and you can get a variety pack. And so the different flavors, they have lemon meringue, they have dark chocolate chip and they have apple cinnamon. And each of these bars are nutrient dense. They use bone broth protein from grass fed cows. 
and there's different vegetables in them. So there's pumpkin seeds, there's kale, broccoli, organic spinach, blueberries, spirulina, turmeric, ginger and Himalayan pink salt. And they do such a good job of making these bars taste really good. So I love the term stealth health. So you're getting in healthy foods without your kids even realizing it. The other snack that I love, and I actually carry these in my office. This is something I'll use for patients who are going to get an IV treatment. It's important to have healthy blood sugar before you get, you know, a vitamin IV. So we use this a lot for patients. So these are their beef sticks and they also have turkey sticks. They have different flavors, jalapeno, summer sausage, garlic, summer sausage, teriyaki, and also original. And why I love these particular beef sticks is it's hundred percent grass-fed beef. So a lot of times when you buy something like beef jerky, or say you buy some steak from your health food store, a lot of times they're fed grass until about the last month or so of their life. And then they feed them corn and they technically can still call that grass fed, but it's not grass finished. And that's, what's really important because if you feed them corn the last month of their life, or also grains, it changes the fat component to that meat and it makes it more inflammatory. Whereas this it's hundred percent grass fed. So it's more anti-inflammatory, kind of similar to fish. And so you're not going to get those inflammatory effects from the beef. They also use organic spices. And what I love is it has naturally occurring probiotics because the beef is actually fermented. So most other beef stick products will use GMO corn based citric acid encapsulated in hydrogenated oils. So it ends up being more inflammatory, whereas this is using the fermentation process. So it contains gut friendly probiotics. And as on this show, your health really comes down to your overall health comes down to the health of your gut. So if you want to get some of these snacks, I highly recommend them for yourself, for your kiddos, and you can get those over at paleovalley.com and at checkout, enter Dr. Lowe, just D-R-L-O, and you'll get 15% off those snacks and also any of their supplements. They have vitamin C, they have a turmeric, they have a product called NeuroEffect, which is great for brain focus and attention and concentration. So check them out. And I think you will absolutely love them. All right. Without further ado, let's jump into the show and talk all about healthy lifestyle with one of my favorite people ever. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited for this episode. I have a friend on that I am shocked she hasn't been on the show before. I was on hers a few years back and I know you're going to really enjoy this episode. She has a wealth of knowledge to share and she's just an overall awesome woman. So we have Katie Wells on the show and she's the founder and CEO of wellnessmama.com and wellness.com. She is a mom of six with a background in journalism. She took health into her own hands and we'll definitely hear about her health story. And her research has turned into a blog and podcast and she's written over 1500 blog posts, three books. And she was also named one of the 100 most influential people in health and wellness. And she's just a geek like me. So we'll geek out on lots of different things about recipes, about creating a healthy lifestyle at home with having tons of kids and just DIY kind of things that she's into. And she is also into Myers-Briggs, which I'm into. I'm an ENFP. She's an INTJ, right, Katie? INTJ? Yep. I love it. So actually from what I've learned, it's a pretty cool duo because we're like the flip-flop of each other. So we can geek out on that a little bit too. And yeah, I think that's a good little intro and we'll get into more of your story, but thank you for joining me. Welcome to the show. 
Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And I know it's been so long since we've talked. I need to have you back on the show too. I know we got to do another one for sure. As we were talking about before we started recording, I am a rather new mom. I have a two-year-old and you have six kids. That's insane. I can't even imagine more than one. That's how challenging it is being a mom really. So I just bow down to all you mamas, all you dads listening. It is a true gift to be able to be a parent and, um, and it's an art and it's a science and, and there's no manual for it. You figure it out as you go, but I think it's really valuable when you can listen to other parents and how they do things and just try to learn from each other. So we'll get more into that, but I want to hear just briefly your own story. What got you into health in the first place? Yeah, you're so right with parenting, I think. And the, the beauty of it is when you figure out one child, you only partially figure them out because they're par- always changing right. and only out that child. So it's a fun adventure for sure. And for me, the health journey actually lined up with becoming a parent for me. Looking back, I know you worked with a lot of people with autoimmune disease as well. And now in hindsight, I can say if you want to create autoimmune disease, do exactly what I did early in life and especially high school and college years and be really stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, crabby food and don't sleep a lot. And that created the perfect storm for me, but my body was still able to handle that until I got pregnant with my first child. And that kind of was the perfect storm that catapulted me into a lot of odd symptoms that took a lot of time to figure out. And with a background in journalism, my default was, well, I'm going to research it and see what might be going on and try to find answers. And around the same time, when my oldest son was born, I was sitting actually at my six-week follow-up appointment with the doctor, which if anybody's had this experience, I was waiting a long time, which tends to be a Mm -hmm. common thing in some doctor's offices. And so I was reading through pretty much every magazine in the waiting room. And I was flipping through Time magazine, and I came to an article, and the quote on the article said that for the first time in two centuries, the current generation of American children would have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. And it was, it just really struck me holding this tiny, perfect newborn and being in that postpartum phase with all those hormones and emotions and this intense love for this baby and reading all these statistics that we now see studies pointing to all the time about the rise in heart disease and diabetes and cancer and autoimmune disease. And it's no secret, of course, that those things are all on the rise, but it really made me ask why, because this is very unusual to see that shift happen and especially as rapidly as we're seeing it. And so it lit a spark in me that day. I didn't know how I would do it or what it would look like, but I became determined to help change that statistic for him and for his whole generation, because just that intense love I was feeling, I was like, our kids deserve better than this. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, experiencing all these weird symptoms over the next few years and through a few more pregnancies and being told by several doctors, oh, that's normal. You're within the range of normal. Those are all normal postpartum things before finally finding answers through people in the health world that I'm now so grateful to be a part of. And I'm so grateful in hindsight too for the struggle of autoimmune disease. It was Hashimoto's, which I'm fully recovered from now. But had I not gone through that and had that impetus from my own life, I don't think I would have ever gone as deep as I did. It sounds funny to say in hindsight, but it was learning for the first time that the food that we ate impacts us more than just calories. Cause that was the story I got in school in very minimal nutrition in high school health class or in college anatomy and physiology classes and different classes. I had never really considered all the biochemical components that go into food beyond just calories. And if you're not getting weight, it's fine. And so starting there and then delving into now through all of the different aspects of health and genetics and new information that's coming out daily. And I think like any struggle in life, it's now I can look back with so much gratitude that that mm-hmm. happened led on this amazing journey. So many people have really been able to 
sharing the fruits of your labor with everything you've gone through. You've impacted millions of people at this point with your podcast, with your blogs. And it's such a wealth of information for any of you who, who haven't checked out wellnessmama.com. I'm sure the vast majority of you have, but just so helpful. Also from, I remember seeing different like blogs on pregnancy and stuff like that when I was pregnant. So that was really appreciated. I'm curious, we hear that Hashimoto's and, and autoimmune disease in general is incurable which is not true. I see that reversed frequently in my practice and you yourself have fully recovered. So what are some of the things that you felt like made the biggest difference with that happening? Yeah, it's so interesting because certainly that's what you're told by at least a lot of mainstream doctors is that it's not curable and not reversible. And I know you work with people all the time on that and many other things. And I've learned also that the outcomes seem to happen when we are each our own primary healthcare provider and we oh, yeah. have practitioners who are like listening ears and good partners in that who mm -hmm. actually spend time listening to what's going on and working collaboratively toward a solution. For me, it was a very long road. And again, with gratitude for the journey, I have read so much and looked into so many different people's systems and tried so many of them and realized in the end that we're all so individualized that right. we have to figure out our own end of one study to, to figure out our actual answers, but that there's so much wisdom in each of these different approaches. And while maybe each of these practitioners had figured out what worked for them, which is wonderful, there was pieces of information to pull from all of that. And for me, it was very much multifaceted. For years, I had cleaned up my diet. I had done the deep dive into research on supplements. I was living extremely clean, minimizing exposure to things that could have been harmful. And for me, the big final piece that I ignored for a long time was the mental and emotional connection mm. and like past trauma, because I had discounted just how profoundly that affects us physically and then reading things like the body keeps the score started to open my eyes to the really direct connection there and having to face the things that I had wanted to avoid facing and that I had thought I could rationalize is not connected and that was the final piece in the journey for me because it, despite all those years of dialing everything in and running spreadsheets and eating perfectly and following all these systems the needle didn't move until I dealt with that. And then everything else fell into place so much more easily at that point. If you told me five years ago that I would have considered that perhaps the biggest factor in health, I would have yeah. been crazy. And now it's something I speak about a lot because I have seen just how profoundly it is connected. That is so cool. I'm so glad you shared that. And I know just naturally with your personality, you're more of an analytical. And so being able to bring that piece into it, which Sometimes you have to let go of the linear left brain and realize that there's more than just numbers. There's the subjective, there's, like you said, traumas, and they can play a role in ways that we can't even understand, really. We know such a tiny fraction of how the body really works. And the more that we know, the more it helps things. But sometimes we, we almost get ahead of ourselves and think that we can figure it all out. So I think having that humility and bringing it back to things that maybe happen to you and how to process those things. And oftentimes the body heals on its own when we don't always have to understand how that happens. That's really cool. And, and such a amazing journey to be able to help your kids on having a different type of upbringing and, and a really strong foundation. Cause the reality is that our world's getting pretty stressful and pretty toxic in many ways. And so raising these little dragon slayers to, to be able to really put up a good fight is key. So let's shift gears and talk about parenting and helping to bring in a healthy lifestyle with the home. So I'll let you take it away. Like what's your philosophy with bringing in health into the home and what are ways that you guys implement that with your kids? 
Absolutely. I think you're so right. And like any aspect of parenting, I think when it comes to health, it very much matters what we do so much more than what we say. But I also discount just how capable of understanding things children are from such a young age. And that was a realization for me as I've gone on with all my kids, their ages now are five to 15 and realizing they'll get questions from people like, how do you make your kids do this and this? Or how do you make them eat like this? And my answer is I don't at all. Largely it's we built a family culture around it. And I think that really is the core. And the most important key is having a defined family culture and then building from that. So it becomes integrated in every aspect of their lives. And those of us who are involved in business or who have ever planned and executed any kind of activity where we understand the importance of creating a business plan or creating a plan of action or planning ahead. And it's interesting to me how rarely we tend to do that with our children. Like a lot of people, if you ask them, what are the most important things you want to instill in your children before they leave home? Or what skills are you planning to teach them? Or even just what are what is your family manifesto? What is your... Mm-hmm shared goal as a family have maybe like a loose idea of that, but have never really clearly defined it. And so we think of our family as our our tribe, which we have enough kids that I guess we legitimately are at this point, (laughs) Um, but we wanted to be very intentional about how we built the culture of that tribe. And so we defined core values that we wanted to maintain and nurture things like creativity and critical thinking, innovation, the ability to ask good questions, and then through the lens of those, building them through curiosity, building in education and understanding and teaching them from a young age in a very positive way. For instance, when it comes to health, the connection between the things we put in our body and how our body performs. And so from the time they were very young, they were involved with me in the kitchen all the time. We had conversations about how different foods interact biochemically with your body. And I didn't sugarcoat or dumb down those things at all. I would use the full scientific terms. I would talk about the nutrient breakdown of those foods and how it impacts your digestion and your gut health and your mitochondria. And so they understood and could see and had examples of that throughout their lives and also had an ownership of that part of their own health from a very young age. And I think the education is the first really important component. And then on the psychology side, creating a culture where there's not any kind of guilt or restriction or shame related to food, which I think often inadvertently tends to rear its head or avoiding the perception that we often see in, for instance, the restaurant culture, that there are different foods for kids or that kids are not capable of eating adult foods. So we avoided all of those things. And the irony is I don't at all mandate what my kids eat. I view it as when they're in our home, it's my responsibility to feed them a nutrient-dense diet to fuel their bodies. And we talk a lot about that and they understand that. And their responsibility is to either eat or not eat when they're hungry, or if they don't like a certain food, they can choose not to eat it. I'm not going to force them to eat or not to eat, but that we talk about the division of responsibility that I'm going to create the food and you're going to help me often, or now often they cook, but that, that is what's prepared and that's what's in our home. We're not going to have other options available and you can either Mm -hmm. eat or not eat. That's always your choice. And our food culture in our home has become very explorative. So they love trying new things, but I think the combination of the education about the food and the non-restrictive psychology around it has created an environment where they feel ownership for what they eat and their own health. And that has exhibited without me having to have any kind of external guidelines or force around what they eat. So even when there are other places, I don't try to tell them what to eat or give them guidelines about that. And I find that they are so good at navigating that on their own. And they, we've also talked a lot about the manners and politeness and not 
ever being rude about that, especially in a, a social situation with someone else, but you can always just say, no, thank you. And mm-hmm. I've seen them do that on their own. There have also, of course, been times when they've been at a birthday party and they ate a cupcake and that's totally fine too, because their body mm-hmm. can handle that. And 95% of what they get is super nutrient dense and clean and their body should be adaptable. But we have those conversations and more often than not, they just say, no, thank you and go on playing. Or I've even seen like when they've gotten little bags of treats from different people, I've seen my, at the time, five-year-old turn it around and read it and be like, Ooh, canola oil and just throw it away. <laughs> that wasn't me forcing it. That was her understanding. That's so cool. So let's say you have a, one of your kids that they choose to not eat. Let's say it's dinner. Everyone else is eating and they don't want that. You're not going to go, okay, let me make you something else. They just don't eat that night. Exactly. Like there's okay. available. If you're hungry, it's there. And I also say things like hunger is a great teacher. And sometimes hunger encourages us to try new things. And if not, that's fine too. But they've also seen me at different times do intermittent fasting or do like water fasting at the beginning of the year for spiritual purposes. So they realize mm-hmm. they're not going to like physically perish if they don't eat one meal. And so and they know there's always going to be another meal the next day. It's rare that they refuse food, but I also do want them to be very in touch with if they're hungry or not. I think often we project on kids that you need to eat what's on your plate or it's mealtime, so you should eat. And that was a thing I had to deprogram as an adult. So I, I didn't want to create that expectation in them. So I've always tried to encourage you to listen to your body. If you're truly not hungry, then that's your body telling you it doesn't need fuel right now. But also if you are hungry, make sure you're fueling your body. I love that so much because that it doesn't give them a complex. It's, it's so regimented. And then once they have some freedom, they just want to eat all the McDonald's, all the Jack in the box, all of it. Cause they were so restricted. So it's, that's really cool. I really like that a lot. I, I realized too, I, when I, the last few years with the trauma processing, I unpacked a lot of the associations I didn't realize I had with food and especially thanks to all of the years of diet culture with certain foods being bad or having guilt associations with certain foods. And certainly with Hashimoto's for a while, I had to be careful about of this great bonding experience is with these foods. So now in the future, when you maybe are feeling sad, you're going to turn towards these foods because they bring back that dopamine. Mm -hmm. So instead, like we try to focus family events and celebrations on experiences rather than foods or rather than even gifts. We just try to focus on the shared experiences and doing something fun or trying a new experience. But I just realized I had to break that. And the irony for me was all those years of having trouble losing weight, I actually ended up having to eat more to lose weight. I had been so chronically deprived for so long. And that was, I'm really glad I learned that lesson when I did, because now I have all these teenage athletes and I'm able to communicate to them so much more effectively the importance of fueling their bodies. Yes. Driving food and not thinking about the weight side, thinking about, and to see like my 13 year old daughter who at that age, I know I was in that headspace of what does my body look like? And I need to be thinner. And her headspace is my body is this amazing tool that can pole vault and run. How do I to do this better? And so she's not having those body issues I had at 13 because she has this, what she sees as an amazing machine that she's nourishing and fueling. And the irony is that leads to inadvertently really good physique and they don't have excess weight, but it's not because they're worried about that part. It's because they are focusing on the positive side of fueling their bodies. Oh my goodness. How rare is it that a 13 year old girl sees her body like that? That's so inspiring. It's really amazing. And I think like you talk back about they pick up more on what you do versus what you say. And growing up, my mom would never talk about my body as being overweight or anything. And I was like 30 pounds heavier in high school. I had a thyroid problem and didn't know. 
And she would never talk about me, but she would talk badly about her body. And once I got older to her age, when I was a kid, I started to notice some of those messages come up. So it is really important how you talk about yourself and what you do in regards to your own health and not depriving yourself for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Really important. Shift gears and talk a little bit more about lifestyle stuff. So not necessarily nutrition, but talking about technology, this is a big issue now that parents are having to deal with. When we were younger, this wasn't a challenge really. When I was I think 15, that's when I got my first, you know, computer, but I was the first one of all my friends to have my own computer, have my own, you know, phone line, my own cell phone, but it wasn't until way later. And back then you could make a call or two because it was so expensive, but now kids have this technology at their fingertips. So how do you navigate introducing technology to your kids and having it be like a healthy balance? That's such a good question. And you're right. Our generation is the first one that our kids their whole lives have had technology and that we're going to have to learn how to navigate this. And yeah. it seems probable that technology is not going anywhere and that exposure is just going to increase. So I think just like with food, it's really important to teach and model those healthy habits early on. I think a lot of it, like anything, goes back to environment and culture. And so our kids see us working on computers all the time. They use technology in some of their schoolwork, but trying not to make that a focal point of family activity. And I think often even just the way we um, create our home environment is focused on technology without us realizing it with the TV being the center of the family room with phones being at the dinner table, whatever it is. And so trying to step back again and look at the culture side and the environment and to create a home environment that builds on those personality traits that we want to impart to our kids. So while we have a TV and the kids have computers for school, those are not at all a focal point in our home. And instead we tried to build in things that are geared towards movement and community. I'm a big fan of Katie Bowman's work in this. And I mm. certainly don't have my house to the degree that hers is. It's incredible what she does, but we did build in a lot of movement, um, especially in our current home that we've been in for about four years. So things like all of the kids have a yoga swing and gymnastics rings in their rooms hanging from the ceiling. Oh my gosh, how cool. <laughs> we have a gymnastics mat down our hallway. There's a climbing hangboard in the kitchen. There's balance boards situated throughout the house and handstand stools in the hallway. So just in the course of their normal day walking through the house, they are cartwheeling or hanging or being upside down. And there's just a <laughs> lot of things geared towards movement. And I think that kids are such natural movers. If we put those things in their way, that's going to be naturally interesting for them. And they're going to do it more. And again, if they see us do it. So if they see me roll down the hallway or jump down the hallway, <laughs> they will do it more as well. And it's been fun. I had to have that discussion with their dad a little bit because at first he was like, no, no feet on the wall. And I'm like, we can repaint one day. The prints on the walls. It's totally fine. And then similarly with activities, it's, I could tell my kids it would be good if they did art lessons. But if I just sit down at the kitchen table and start painting, they all come do it with me. And mm. so those behaviors, whether it's that we have chess boards on our kitchen table, whether it's Rubik's cubes on the coffee table, just things that exercise their bodies and their minds that are alternatives to technology. And then again, not positioning technology as bad, explaining and educating that looking down at a screen for too long and our head is the heaviest part of our body. And if we're looking down, that puts strain on certain vertebrae in our neck. And so if we're going to do that, because that's a part of life, how can we balance that with movements that go the other way or with taking breaks to move more or maybe we're sitting on the floor and hinging our hips better or we're doing activities that stretch our brain creatively or stretch our brains intellectually or having stimulating conversation and just building that into the family culture versus painting the picture of technology being bad and restricting it because I think also in that natural teenage phase of separation anything we've painted as forbidden or bad becomes more enticing oh yeah 
Yeah. And I know that was true for me. So not creating situations with things that could actually become dangerous if we make them forbidden and instead just educating and teaching healthy respect early on and also giving alternatives that are just as fun. With little ones, there's also just fun things. There's a question a day book that leads to great conversation. We've often done that at bedtime or the dinner table. And it's just interesting questions and you can record their answers over the course of several years. So they can go back and see how they've changed throughout the course of that, or just family conversations in general, or around like fun games and activities like chess or whatever it is, just building those into the family culture. So it's always coming from the positive lens and movement toward versus restriction and movement away from. And then the beauty of it with as many as we have, and I will say, I think six is easier than one for what it's worth because <laughs> we'll try. Okay. I'm going to get started on six. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like self-teaching at this point in that because it's all become part of our culture, the older ones model it for the younger ones and they encourage each other in those things. So in a sense, my life as mom is much easier at this point with their ages and as many of them as there are than it was when I just had one or I just had a baby and a toddler. Yeah. By the time you get really old, you're going to have major pampering. They're going to take great care of you. (laughs) It's an investment in your future. I love all of those ideas and your house sounds so fun. If I were a kid, I'd want to hang out at your house. I want to hang out at your house now. <laughs> well, <come anytime. laughs> so let's talk about, so technology aside, what about just getting outside? Do you implement gardening? Do you guys have different activities you do outside? How do you bring that into your culture? That's a great question too. This has been a slowly evolving process for us. I'm a big fan of nature time. And I know you've talked about this and seen the studies on how just natural light in the morning is so important. Mm-hmm. Outside is so healing in so many ways. So we try to do the same thing in just creating fun environments that would naturally lead to that. So we have, we do have a garden and the kids mm-hmm. help in the garden quite a bit. On our patio, we have a sauna and a cold plunge, which is fun because they egg each other on in the cold and see how long they can stay. And then our backyard, I wanted it to be a play space as well. So there's a tree house and underneath it, there are all kinds of things they can hang on and swing from. There's the slack line, trampoline swings, just things that lead toward movement and play. And I think for as much as we teach our kids, often they teach us more and kids have that innate experience of play that we often forget as adults. So I try to also let them be my teachers and make time to play with them. And I think also as moms, a little bit of a side note, but we have this expectation that we should be spending all of our time with our kids entertaining them. And that's a somewhat modern idea that we need to be their source of entertainment. And I used to feel a lot of guilt around that of, oh, I should be spending all my time with them. I should be spending more time with them. And there's a course called Positive Parenting Solutions that was really helpful in understanding that psychologically, kids actually only need a short amount of really focused, intentional time per day. And as long as we're making sure to really make that a priority and check in and spend one-on-one time with them, they don't need hours. They actually only need at minimum 10 minutes. And I was like, that's doable even with six of them. And so those play times and age appropriate with whatever they want to do. And those are the best like heartfelt conversation times and just play and experiential times. And that's been probably such a simple thing, but one of the more profound things I've ever implemented because it's really helped nurture that bond with each of them individually and led to just a better connection and so many fewer kind of behavioral issues throughout the family. Oh my goodness. So I'm going to check that course out for sure. Remind me, do you guys homeschool your kids? We do. Uh, okay. We have an alternative approach to that as well, but we do. That was a thing early on. We decided when our oldest was hitting school age, I was trying to evaluate what best prepares him for adult life in today's world. Is mm-hmm. it homeschooling? Is it public school, private school, and realizing that none of the options available, even some of the really good homeschool curriculums 
really lined up with our approach and those values of creativity, critical thinking, even just comparisons of how we want our kids to innovate and think outside the box. But often we in school, put them in a very literal box and tell them there's right. one answer to every question and you need to sit still and be quiet. I'm like, that's not what I want for my kids. So what does? And working back from that, kind of developing a first principles approach, we built a system from the ground up that I am hesitant to even call a curriculum because it's more of a framework and it's been adapted to each of them individually with the idea of minimizing the time that they're sitting down and just reading from a book and maximizing hands-on experiential problem-solving based activities. We do that with them each at their own level. And we're really blessed that my parents live close by and are both retired. So my dad's a retired professor and he helps with some of the science and math and they have grandparent involvement too, which I know we're extremely lucky to have. Most people don't have that, but we, we do homeschool as well. Cool. Yeah. Zion's dad and I have decided we're going to be homeschooling too. And I'm excited about it. And I just feel nobody can educate him as well as us, I think. But even for parents who they don't have that luxury or that option, there's so much that can be done at the home. I still see it as you are the primary educator still. So what advice would you give to parents who don't have that option, but who want to be more involved in their kids' education? I think you said it perfectly that even when our kids may go to a school environment, we're still their primary teachers. Yeah. So I think that goes back to building that family culture of learning and having activities interspersed in the home environment that are both bonding and educational and fun because kids are so much more likely to want to do something if you can keep that fun element for them. And I think it's sad to me that so many kids come home from eight hours of school with so much homework and so much. Yeah. Other just homework. I think whenever possible, breaking that system is really helpful or trying to minimize the amount of time they have to be working on that at home. And then focusing on those activities like that involve outdoor time or some kind of creative or probably not intellectual pursuit if they're doing that in school so much, but just building in those other activities and opportunities for growth when they're home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really trying to, to make sure that you're intentional about dinner time. I think that's really key. We know there's some great stats out there about kids who have dinner with their family. And even if you guys aren't, if you don't have the time to cook, there's ways to be able to put fresh food on the table, whether that's something like Pete's paleo or balance bites with their meals, something that's even already pre-prepared and you just warm it up, but just having that routine, that ritual of having dinner with your kids is there's, you can't even put a price on that. It's invaluable. Absolutely. And there's also for kids who want to be involved. One thing we've done with them from an early age, there's a course called kids cook real food. Oh and my so gosh. Cool. Teach them one-on-one as much as you'd like with the cooking side. This course goes through everything from like kitchen safety and knife skills to all the different cooking techniques and how to understand what recipes are saying when they use certain words and measurements and how to convert them. And that's been really amazing to see that like even my younger ones, the five-year-old to some degree, and certainly the eight-year-old can cook entire meals on their own for the whole family because they've learned those kind of core skills. And that's another parenting tip I often give. And one of the guidelines we follow with them is we don't do anything for them that they're capable of doing themselves. Mm-hmm. And so for the younger ones, that means that when they're capable of making their own bed, I'm not going to do it for them. They have to take the initiative and do it uh, by age four or five. They're all doing their own laundry because they're capable for the older ones. That means my son's actually a little bit annoyed about this right now, but he'll be getting his driver's permit next month. And because he'll be capable of it. And when he's 16, I won't be able to drive him anywhere anymore because he'll be capable of it. But just building in that focus on autonomy and self-sufficiency from a young age, because I think we all know we want our kids to be self-sufficient, independent adults, but actually getting them there, especially in today's world, it takes a little bit of intention. Mm-hmm. And also just subconsciously, it's teaching them, okay, mom does what she needs to do to take care of herself. 
she believes in me that I can do these things myself. And it also teaches them healthy boundaries that one day when they're parents, how they can raise uh, healthy and well-adjusted kids. So there's so many really great just downstream effects of that type of strategy. I love it. So good. So how would you, you have six kids, you're a busy woman. How do you take care of yourself in the midst of all that? I think that's one of the tougher things as moms, especially because we're so innately wired to nurture and take care. And often there's all the talk in society about how still so much of the burden of the family environment falls on the moms. And I think we're making a lot of strides to kind of balance that out. But I think parts of it are from a young age, teaching them those skills so that they are self-sufficient and I'm not doing things for them mm-hmm. they be doing themselves, which frees up a little bit of time. But also as moms, I think that the things that fuel us, even if it's just a few minutes a day, those have to go in the calendar first, because if not, we will push them out and they will get entirely pushed off our schedules completely oh, yeah. or get around to them. And, mm-hmm. I, and like you said, I, it's important for our kids to see us doing those things so that they learn to take care of themselves and all those overused cliches about putting on our own oxygen mask first. But for me, that means things like workouts and time with family and friends, people I care about any, or even like some of the health things I do, those go on the calendar first and they're not negotiable. And I'll say to the kids, if I'm doing those things, like I'm very happy to do whatever it is you need as soon as I'm done with this. But right now, this is my priority and helping them hear from my language and understand that I can't give if I don't, if I'm not fueled. And so Mm -hmm. all the talk about food, I also talk to them about how we have to fuel emotionally and we have to fuel mentally and we have to fuel our own minds and our own emotions so that we have that to give to others. And then of course, modeling that really importantly as well. So they see me do things like I'm going to go read a book for a few minutes or I'm going to sketch or I'm going to go sprint or lift weights or whatever it is. They see that and then they know that I'm still going to make them a priority after that, but that it's important to make myself a priority too. 100%. Okay, cool. I have a couple last questions here. So one thing is structure systems in terms of how things flow. It sounds like there's some great just flowness and it's not a word flowness to your day, but also there, I assume that there's some good structures and scheduling. So how do you structure your day with your kids? Yeah, I have some good posts on this on my website as well. People want to see our actual structure, which just like the health side, just uses a guideline and build your own because you can't often apply those things directly. But with as many moving pieces as we have in our household, I find this structure really helpful, especially if everybody knows it and we're all in a rhythm. It takes a lot of the stress out. For moms especially, I feel like a lot of stress doesn't actually come from the execution of all the things we have to do. It's from all the open loops of knowing all the things we have to do and managing all of that in our head. So right. anytime we can take a system out of our head and onto a tangible, some kind of tangible, measurable thing and everybody involved, that tends to take our stress level down some. So for us, that means there's a schedule and a rhythm to who's doing laundry when, to who does what jobs in the kitchen, to how the house gets cleaned, to timing of school, which I try to line up parts of that overlap with my work. So when they're doing their quiet part of school, I'm getting work done. But that way, even for myself, when it's not time to do laundry, I'm not stressed about laundry because I know when laundry is going to happen. I've already got meal plans made, so I'm not worried about when I need to go to the grocery store or when I'm going to cook. And all those moving pieces happen together. But I think it is just what was helpful to me in the very beginning was writing down all the things that needed to happen on index cards and then organizing by day and by person so that nothing overlapped and then creating that in a tangible system that everybody could reference. That way there just wasn't the overlap and also the question fatigue. Because that's the thing I often hear from moms and I certainly experienced is when they when there isn't that cohesive system, they're having to check in all the time to ask us questions 
to know right. when it's supposed to happen. It, whereas if that's a defined system, they have something they can check in with or they become so much in the routine of it that there aren't those questions. And I think, so for moms, if we can minimize the open loops, the decision fatigue and the questions, that takes actually 80% of the stress out, even if the same amount of things have to get done. Mm-hmm. 100%. How many hours a week do you think you work usually? I've been working on minimizing that as well. So probably 10 to 15 hours total. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I know it's less than a lot of people end up needing to work in a week. And I'm grateful for that as well. But I also say it took me 15 years to build to this point with systems and with building. A exactly. Team. Yeah. Done. I'm sure you really burned the candle at both ends for many years. You've earned the 15 hour week work week. So last question is you mentioned ways that you bring in movement to the home. What are other ways that you've helped to make your home non-toxic? Yeah, this was a big piece for me with the autoimmune side and just realizing what goes on our bodies gets into our bodies. And was actually the reason I started wellness a couple of years ago is that I realized even my most naturally minded friends were still picking a few products that were more conventional because they worked. And so I realized if we're going to reverse that trend, we have to find things that work better. And so for me, that looked like personal care products, but there are now so many more things available than there were 15 years ago when I started this. And there have been some really easy switches. All the cleaners in our house are branch basics, for instance, it's just a concentrate that's totally non-toxic. And that actually simplified because now I only have to buy one thing. We mix it all in glass bottles. There's a system for that and it saves money and time. Same thing with having intentionally over the last almost a couple decades now removed things from the house, whether it was furniture, whether it was personal care products, cleaning products, laundry products, and making easy switches. It's not any more work. And now the house just stays non-toxic. I think this is, people have a pretty good understanding of this now, much more so than when you and I first started in this. And so there are so many more really good products available. I know you have recommendations for those as well. I think it just also goes back to awareness and starting to pay attention and be cognizant of everything that comes into the house and from the food to the the products that we use to even like furniture and clothing and making those switches gradually over time. Yeah. Do you guys do no shoes in the house? We do. In fact, unpopular thing, but we do no shoes almost everywhere. Even I go to the grocery store <laughs> without shoes. I guess what? I heard a podcast recently where somebody said most of us are so ingrained in societal standards that we would be so deeply uncomfortable going to the grocery store without shoes. And I'm like, not me. I think I make some people at the grocery store uncomfortable because I'm without shoes, but uh, I'm a big fan of, we have so many sensory receptors in our feet. Yeah. And kids especially. And so I think if we wore gloves, like padded gloves all the time, right. all that sensory perception from our hands for kids, especially that affects brain development. So I want them barefoot as much as possible. And we take this to the degree that we've gone on trips before. And I've had to go the night before buy everybody's shoes because they had all outgrown their shoes and nobody <laughs> knew because they hadn't worn them in months. And especially with kids, everybody wore shoes for so long. It's like a little caveman family. That's so funny. I remember back in college in my undergrad, there was a guy that always walked around barefoot. He had really long hair. He looked like a total caveman and no one was doing that back then. But now I look back and I'm like, he knew what he was doing. He, he had it figured. What about like water filters, air filters, any other ways that you guys bring in the non-toxic lifestyle? Yeah, I'm a big fan of, I don't think the air filters are as necessary now because we are so careful about what we bring into the house, but we mm-hmm. do have doctors in the house and I'm a big fan of plants. So we have a lot of plants in the house and we have a whole house water filter. We live in an area, thankfully, that doesn't have fluoride in the water at all. So there's less to filter out. And then we just run a whole house filter that that way I don't have to worry about the bath water, the shower water. Totally. What's the brand or what type of filter is that one? We have the one from Radiant Life and then we have a pristine hydro also under the kitchen sink just for adding the extra minerals to drinking water. Mm -hmm. Um, Cool. 
what was the air filter you said? Air doctor. Air doctor. That's right. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thanks for letting me just ask 9,000 questions. I think this is so helpful for people. It's just very practical. A lot of really great ideas, especially some of these courses to take. And for anyone listening who they're interested in these topics, you can just go down many rabbit holes with this. Awesome. Anything else you want to leave with us before I let you get on? I guess from a mindset standpoint, something that applies to all of this is I think we are the result of the questions we ask. And so it goes back to both internally and externally asking good questions. And that's in how we raise our kids in a kind of Socratic approach to education, whether it be nutrition or lifestyle stuff from a very young age, but also the questions that we ask ourselves. And that was a piece that I didn't understand for a long time. And that really helped with the mindset transition of those final health pieces for me, because our subconscious is so wise. And if we ask questions like, oh, why can't I lose weight? Or why is this so hard? Our brain's going to put energy toward answering those questions. Of course you can't lose weight because you had six kids and you have a thyroid problem or whatever it may be. Whereas if we ask questions like, oh, how is it so fun to accomplish this thing? Or why is it so easy to, our brain will put its energy toward that. And I think also directing our kids in that way, whether even just in a parenting and behavioral sense, instead of asking questions, if something falls, why did you do that? Which they're not going to have an answer to because either it was an accident or they don't understand the reasons they were compelled to do something in an emotional state at their age. It's learning to ask them better questions to help them be able to process. Or even like a tip I found with my little ones is when they're angry or they're out of control, asking them, what are you feeling and where are you feeling it in your body? re-anchoring them into their bodily experience and putting them back in touch with their body and helping them connect that to their emotions. But in any aspect of life, just paying attention to the questions we ask. Mm-hmm, 100%. The main takeaway I'm getting from this whole show is just being intentional about how you design the culture and just the way you raise your kids. It's really about slowing down and thinking about it and not just being in that autopilot and letting culture around us dictate what we do in the home. So it's really cool. Love it. Awesome. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate all the wealth of knowledge that you have and yeah, just appreciate everything that you do and turning what you went through into what you're doing because it's impacting millions of people. Just appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having me on and for the time today. It's always so much fun to chat with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.